for a while. What happened? You look terrible, Captain Hook. What do you mean? I'm fine. Well, what about the wooden leg? You didn't have it before. Well, said the pirate, we were in battle at sea and a cannonball hit my leg, so the doc fixed me up and I'm fine. Really? Oh, yeah? Well, how about the hook? He said, oh, the last time I saw you, you didn't have it. You had both hands. He said, well, we were in another battle and we boarded an enemy ship and I was in a sword fight and my hand got cut off, but the doc fixed me up with a hook and I feel great, really. He said, oh, said the bartender, what about the eye patch? Last time I, you were in here, you had both eyes. One day, he says, when I was at sea, some birds were flying over my ship, and I looked up, and one of them crapped in my eye. <laughs> Bartender said to him, You're kidding. You couldn't have lost your eye just from some bird crap. <laughs> Captain Hook replied, It was my first day with the hook. <laughs> downhill from there, fellas. <laughs> well, I want to continue on with, uh, with our man, Joseph, and uh, let me just uh, have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, again, we, uh, we come before you and uh, acknowledge our utter dependence upon you, unless you join us and be the teacher by the power of your Holy Spirit and your word, um, nothing's going to happen. So I pray that you join us and uh, minister to each one of us and uh, meet each one of us at our point of need. And we thank you in advance, in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's see, I want to get my time here, so I, there's one thing you guys don't want to be late to is lunch. Lunch and, and real estate closings, that's the two things you don't miss, so. All right, 12.45, okay. Um, last night we talked a little about tested faith. So today I would like to go and, and put a little more of a microscope on this thing of tested faith, of how we get to tested faith, and I'm just going to call it testing faith. And so last night, just as a quick review, we, we concluded that God tests our faith for His purpose and, His, and our good. God is the source of the testing of our faith. We talked about bifocal, having bifocal faith. And that the object of tested faith is, are the promises, or is the promises and the character of God. So today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, testing faith is, uh, is a process of relinquishing control. And then we're going to look at Jacob as an example of that. And then I want to visit for a little bit about testing faith is a process that we all go through and then the importance of forgiveness. 
uh, in going through that testing process, and Joseph as an example of that. And then we'll, uh, I'll give you a quick little uh, test that you can take with you that uh, you can kind of check yourself continually to see how you're doing in the process of having your faith tested and uh, moving toward tested faith. So is this mic working all right? What's going on? No, over here. In and out. When I look that way. Well, let me try something. How's that now? Let me try this just a minute. No? What's my hookup, though, huh? Hello? <laughs> Did you guys hear that? The first day I had my hook? <laughs> no? You sure? All right. Okay. Let's turn to Genesis 42 if you want to follow along. And Steve's going to... I, I couldn't do it without my man Steve, so appreciate it, Steve. Uh, Genesis 42 and... Uh, Testing, the, the process of testing faith is a process of relinquishing control. And uh, I want to look at Jacob for a little bit, uh, Joseph's dad, because he, he gives us a good example of what that process of relinquishing control looks like. So Steve, let's start in Genesis 42, and if you just read the first four verses, if you would, please. Okay, Genesis 42, beginning in verse 1. Yes, one to four. When Joseph learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, excuse me, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Okay, notice that the famine is on, and so Jacob sends these boys down to buy grain. Of course, he doesn't know that Joseph's down there. But notice just an observation of Jacob. He doesn't send his youngest son, Benjamin, because it says that he's afraid that harm might befall him. Now let's go down to verses 8 and 9 of the same chapter, Steve. Genesis 42, 8 and 9. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Okay, Joseph tests his brothers. They don't, they don't realize it's him, but they, he realizes it's, uh, it's his brothers. Now, 17 to 20. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in, pack, in, excuse me, stay here in prison while the rest of you go take grain back for your starving household. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Okay, so again, Joseph is testing his brothers to see if uh, um, 
He, he's just checking them out to see what their character looks like. Now let's, he continues to test them. Gen, uh, 25 to 28, Steve. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags of grain, to, be, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his, sil his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? Notice what they said. <laughs> who, did they, who did they ultimately understand they were going to be accountable with? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So Joseph, Joseph uh, puts the money right back in the sack. So they are... Uh, now they don't know what's going on. And sin will, sin will do that to us, won't it? If we get into sin, we, we'll misread the tea leaves every time. Yeah. Now let's look at verse 36 to 38. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death, or I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the graves in sorrow. Okay. Notice Jacob is saying, All right, I've lost Joseph. Simeon, you had to leave him down there. And so I want you to go back, and I want you to get some more grain. We're out. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going to send Benjamin. Jacob had his hand closed around Benjamin, didn't he? And we're going to see how God, this is the process God takes us through in testing our faith. And what he's going to do is he's going to move Jacob to where he has to, he has to have an open hand with his youngest son, Benjamin. And let me just ask you rhetorically, do you have any Benjamins in your life? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. One way I see sometimes in the marriage is not being willing to confront your wife with issues that as a leader in their home you need to because you're not trusting God. I mean, it could cost me the marriage if I deal with these issues. That's a Benjamin. Put in this. The, get you, get you. In this uh, situation, uh, we talk about Benjamin being uh, representing some of these other issues in our lives. Uh, but in, in this particular story, uh, why do you think it was Benjamin that was kept back? Is it, was it because of his youngest? Or was it because of, of who, Benj uh, who Benjamin was as far as the relationship within the family and his relationship to Joseph? Well, I, I don't know that I, I, can, I, can, I can have some conjecture on that, but... It, 
couple of couple of issues here is we know that Joseph was his favorite son to begin with, and so when Joseph's gone and Benjamin or uh, Jacob had four wives, and so uh, he only had two sons, his last two sons, by Rachel, and they were Joseph and then his younger brother Benjamin, and so he's only got one son left from that marriage, and and it's his and it's his baby, and so. He's, he's holding on to that, just like we hold on to things that, if we're not careful. So it can be uh, your kids, your Benjamin can be your marriage, can be your standard of living. I think one of the biggest issues in a man's life is finally coming to a point that uh, you honestly say to God, God, you... I want you to determine my standard of living. You remember the proverb that says, Lord, give me neither riches nor poverty? I had a young man, he's in his 30s. I meet with him in a Bible study. and He came in 60, 90 days ago, and he said, you know, I've made a giant leap in my life, in my spiritual life. And I said, how's that? And so... He pointed out that proverb to me and he said, you know, it's the first time, first time I've ever been willing to say God to God, God, don't give me riches nor poverty. You determine what my standard of living is. That can be a Benjamin for us and a big one. Reputation is a big one, can be. And you know the list as well as I. Steve, let's read Genesis 43, 1 to 6. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought in from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us soundly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? Yes. Notice what Jacob's... He's still holding on to Benjamin, but notice he's, he's blaming the brothers. And let me suggest to you, as a point of application, that any time we attempt to control and not trust God with any issue in our life, it will bring disunity. I have to tell you that I've never belonged to a church that if I got inside of it very far, there wasn't disunity. And I would suggest to you the genesis of that is an attempt to control. The same thing in marriage. Attempt to control will bring disunity. With your kids, And for you that have little kids, as your kids get older, that is one of the real areas of testing, is to let your kids go and let them become all God wants them to be, not all who you think they ought to be. And that's easier said than done. I speak from experience. And in work, you guys see disunity in, in the marketplace, don't you? What's the deal? 
an attempt to control. Tell me there's not territories in the corporate world. Huh? Brings disunity. And so it does in our own lives. Read verses 11 to 13, Steve, please. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put, in your, put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. Okay. Jacob finally, because God keeps the pressure on him, I mean, he has no choice. We're running out of food. What am I going to do? And that's part of the testing process of our faith, is God sometimes will put us into corners to where there's nothing we can do except release whatever it is. Release our Benjamin. And Jacob has reached that point where he had to relinquish control, or what he thought was control of Benjamin. Now read verses 13 to 15. Again, take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. Notice that in all of this dialogue about Benjamin and letting him go and so on, this is the first time he mentions God. And what did he do? The testing, that's what the testing process does, is it moves us from our hope in whatever our Benjamin is to God. And there's tremendous relief and rest when we do that. But sometimes God has to put us in a real corner with no options before we'll give up some of our Benjamins. Tested faith is saying that, God, I trust you with the result and I agree with whatever you decide. Christianity is a religion of no options. What's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. New Testament, Old Testament, that hasn't changed one lick. My righteous ones shall live by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Steve, let's go on down to, uh, over to chapter 44, verses 27 to 31. Will. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with this boy's life, sees that the boy isn't here, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Okay, here's the context. They're ready to go back home. They've got the grain, and so Joseph has tested them. And he said, all right, I'll keep Benjamin. You go down and uh, uh, get your father. And, and so uh, 
Judah, Judah pleads with Joseph for Benjamin. And he says that for Jacob's sake, he said it'll kill Jacob. It'll kill my dad if Benjamin doesn't return. I thought it was interesting that Judah was the one that interceded for Benjamin. It was the tribe of Jesus. It was the tribe of Judah that Jesus came through that interceded for us. Read verse 45-4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Okay, so now Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He said, hey, here I am. This is me, remember? (laughs) Now read verses 25 to 28. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler over all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Just an observation here. God's testing is always enough to develop tested faith or to give up or release our Benjamins. But it's not more than we can handle. Let's look at 46.1. So Israel set out with all that was, was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. The result of the process of testing faith and arriving at tested faith, the result will always be worship and praise and gratefulness to God. And that's where God wants us. Now read verses uh, 2 to 4 of theirs in 46. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Isn't God an accommodating and a gracious God? Here, Jacob, Jacob's finally released Benjamin. And so then he begins to praise and worship God. And so then God comes to him, and God is gracious and gives him whatever assurance he needs during and after testing of faith. And so it is with us. God will take us through those tough times, the testing of our faith, to help us release our Benjamins. He'll never give us more than we can handle, and yet afterwards, he'll, He always is gracious, and He'll give us assurances that, hey, everything's all right. You're on track. Let's look at, uh, let's go to chapter 48 now, verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. 
Isn't it interesting? Last night we talked about what Joseph had to say on his dying bed. Now Jacob's on his, or Jacob, we're talking about Jacob now on his dying bed. And he says the same thing that Joseph said. God will be with you. What's he saying? God's sovereign. God is all-powerful. He's faithful. He's good. He's enough. And he also says then, and he'll bring you back to the land of your fathers. What does that tell you about his faith? How does he know that? The Abrahamic covenant, isn't it? So the goal of testing faith is tested faith, which has the character and the promise of God as its object. And so Jacob was, is a great illustration of how God took him one more time through that process of giving up Benjamin. And as an old man, he had tested faith because his faith was, the total object of his faith was the promises of God and the character of God. Testing faith is a process of relinquishing control. Let's just concentrate for a moment on the process itself. We've kind of gone through as an illustration with Jacob and the process he went through. I want to give you just a quick quick little uh, chart here of an uh, illustration in the New Testament of the, the same type of process. Uh, process. It's not, uh, there, there are some differences, but it's, uh, this is out of Romans 5, 1 to 5. We won't read it for time's sake, but let me just, uh, this is the process. Paul says we exult in tribulation. First time I read that, I thought, Paul, what are you smoking? We exult in tribulation. I did a little study on this, and that word tribulation means pressure. Or if you look it up in Strong's, it means pressure, and then if you look at the base word, it means to crowd. You ever feel crowded in a corner? Yeah. And that's God-given, isn't it? And Paul says we exult in tribulation. Why? Because I know it's from God, and I know it's for my good. We exult in tribulation because tribulation brings about perseverance. And this perseverance means that when you're under the pressure, you stay under the pressure. You have an option to go out. See there, and Gail's going to talk about this a little bit, but perseverance or endurance, there's a couple of ways that God does that. Sometimes he'll put us under pressure, and he'll give us an opportunity. We can move out from under the pressure if we want, and that's the case here in Romans. A man's in a tough, tough marriage, and he says, man, got to be something better than this. Or he perseveres. He stays under the pressure. He hangs in there. He does what he knows is right. And Paul says, the tribulation brings about Perseverance, perseverance, proven character. Or King James says experience, uses the word experience. 
Now we're in, this is the testing of faith process. And as we go through that experience or proven character, we come to hope. Defining what our hope is. Sometimes we identify our hope during these times and we find out we're embarrassed of what we're hoping in. It's something other than God. And then we have to adjust, don't we? Yeah. That's what Jacob had to do. He had to move from hoping into Benjamin to hoping in God. And so it is with us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hope, if faith is an automobile, hope is the motor that drives it. You cannot have faith without hope. And hope then produces faith, and faith then produces love. John 14.21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them. I'm going to move that on up. You guys see that better? Okay. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You want to know God? You want God to disclose himself to you? It's got to be obedience first. Jesus says in John 7, 17, he says, If any man is willing to do my will, then he will know of my teaching. You've got to be willing first. You've got to have to step out in faith first and then you will know God. And let me suggest to you, gentlemen, that testing of our faith is the normal Christian life. By the way, I wanted to point out here, in this illustration, this perseverance is where you have an option to move out from under the pressure. With Joseph, he didn't have an option. God just put him there and he just had to endure through it. Either way, he, he could have responded improperly, couldn't he? He could have made a different decision with uh, Potiphar's wife. He could have been bitter and, and uh, angry at his brothers and vindictive. So he obviously responded in faith, didn't he? The proper hope here in Romans 5.5 5 has as its object the character and the promises of God. Joseph and Jacob at the end of their lives are good examples of tested faith. They both on their dying bed responded the same way. God is faithful. God will take care of you. That's the character of God, who he is. And God will take you back to the land he promised. God's promises. Testing of faith is not a journey. It is a journey, not a destination. And we've got to remember that, gentlemen. It's a process. It's a journey that God's taken us through. Let me just use another little overhead here that I've never used this one before. We'll try. Uh, for you guys that like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, this will be okay for you. So, 
All right, let's see here. All right, I'm going to move it up a little. All right. For your information, the dark spots here are peanut butter. So, <laughs> you probably couldn't tell by looking. So this is, a, this is an attempt to illustrate again the testing of our faith process. And when we first come to Christ, uh, we've got a lot of peanut butter in our life. A lot of, a lot in our, we got a lot of Benjamins in our life. And so God, God then begins the process of sanctification along our life. And he begins to remove the peanut butter. Or, said another way, he, re he begins to help us identify the Benjamins in our lives. And as Jacob had to finally come to a point where he released his Benjamins, he released those things that he was hoping in. And that's what he's doing with our lives. And so, Romans 8, 28 and 29, for God... This is the process of sanctification or the process of testing our faith. And Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And to whom He foreknew, He also predestined that we might be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so the process is to begin to move the peanut butter out, if you will, moving toward this goal to where our hope is totally in God and God and his promises. And so this is a process that goes on. And then the next verse, interesting in Romans, it says, And whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. And we won't be glorified until, until we die and we, we'll get our new bodies. We'll get rid of the flesh. But it's a process. We begin becoming Christ-like. And the, the goal God says he has for us is glorification. We begin by being born again and we end with death. This is pre-eternity. And by the way, the Apostle Paul tells us that this, where we're at now, here on earth, is not our home. It's just like a, the preseason in an NFL football game. It's just getting ready for the regular season. And the regular season is eternity, gentlemen. And Paul says, we're just sojourners. This is, our citizenship is not here. And so we have to have a process uh, mentality as we go through this. This is the present, future. Right now we're being transformed. We're moving, we're moving the peanut butter out. And by the way, it's an interesting thing, gentlemen, that God deals with us on the basis of our faithfulness to what we know and what we can do. In other words, God deals with us on the basis of the areas where we already know. 
Because there, there are areas in our lives we think we've turned over to Christ, but we really haven't yet until he puts us under pressure. And we discover those. I'll share one with you. I remember about uh, oh, it's a year and a half, two years ago, my wife, her, her, uh, her regular doctor, uh, had some concerns about a health issue for her. And so he told me what he thought it was. So we took her to a specialist, and the specialist told me that uh, she thought it was the same thing. And uh, that particular malady was, uh, was, was terminal. And during that time, before we got her tested, I thought I had released my wife. But I had to go back and review again. And I had to come to a point where I said, God, uh, boy, if, if I got any vote in this thing, uh, I'm tight with her. I'd love to keep her. But uh, the most important thing is my walk with you. And if that's what you call, if that's your call, that's fine. I agree with your call. But I'd ask you if there's another way, let's, let's do it that way. The good news is the test came back and it was something else. And, uh, but it was a time when I didn't even realize that I was holding on to that relationship at the depth I was. And so it is in this process. God gradually is moving our hope. As we get rid of the peanut butter, we've got more and more hope in the promises and the character of God. And God just deals with us on the basis of what we know not what we don't know. And that's what we're responsible for. Speak up, Gail. Winston. Yes, Gail. Now, does this mean that when I come to Christ that uh, the method of choice by God is tribulation and that the testing of faith will always be in the context of tribulation because of reduction of options and the other things you have said yeah. Gail I would not I would not say that that's the only way he does it generally he has to do it that way to, to get our attention but uh, I think one of the uh, one of the things I, I thought about I thought about with Joseph and let me just ask you guys the question Joseph is 17 and for the next 13 years it's, it's tough duty and then in one day he goes from the jail to being prime minister now let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Which do you think were the most difficult years for Joseph? From age 17 to 30 or from 30 to uh, 110 when he died? How many think from 17 to 30 were the most difficult days? Don't be bashful, okay. How many of you think from 30 to 110 was the most difficult. 
And the rest of you just don't think, huh? <laughs> let me suggest to you, let me suggest to you, for your consideration, that it was from 30 to 110, because he had a lot more options. And so, Gail, I would say that it may... It, it, I wouldn't want to say that it's always tribulation and pressure God uses. Sometimes he may give us... An, several options and just see if we can handle those also. And we blow it. Sometimes we blow it, sometimes we don't. We don't handle options well, gentlemen, if you haven't noticed. Gail, you got any response to that? I'm not sure I knew exactly where you're going. No, I think that's, I think that's very good. That, uh, And my statement was it was the method of choice. Uh, you said, well, I think God can do some other things. I didn't say that wasn't the case. Okay. But the method of choice is tribulation, struggle, stress, strain, the, where your options get washed out of you. Uh, so, uh, because I see no other prescription in the Bible that states that hope is a product of, other than tribulation. Yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah. Right here. Well, if we're uh, talking about sanctification, uh, is this an exclusive process, or what about John seventeen seventeen to uh, sanctify through the Word, and Romans ten seventeen to grow your faith through the Word, and First Timothy three sixteen seventeen that this uh, will make you equipped for righteousness. Don, uh, I used to live in Colorado Springs, and I. Uh, I taught a men's Bible study every Friday morning down at a men's club downtown. And we'd have anywhere from 30 to 60 guys. And we met at 7 o'clock. And uh, anyone that wanted to come in for prayer would come in at 6 o'clock. And uh, a lot of the guys, we had a strong contingent within the real estate industry and the insurance industry just happened to be where the guys were located out in the marketplace. And I taught that thing for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And I could put on, the, I could chart that thing out on the numbers in the study would stay fairly constant. But I could chart that out on how interest rates and the real estate market were doing and it would, it would overlay with the attendance in the prayer session of that morning. And so, yes, the, the Word of God does. You know, it's, it's uh, sharper and active than any two-edged sword. But I have to tell you, when I'm under pressure, where do I go? I go to my knees and I go to the Word. Yes, sir. So, Winston, I want to go back to your statement that you made earlier. I probably wrote it down wrong or I'm a little confused. You said that's... That, that's my gift. Confusion. <laughs> <laughs> you made a statement that Christianity was a religion with no options. Yes. 
You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, now. That's the only option. My grace is sufficient for you. No other option. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done. And I will establish my purpose and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. No option but God. And that's where God's taken all of us. That's the testing, that's the faith testing process is taking us to where we have no options. Any illusion of control begins to fade away. The testing of our faith is a process, not a product. Testing of faith is a process of relinquishing control. Yes, sir. I'm just uh, thinking back on the uh, picture of the pressure coming down yes. and staying under the pressure. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of um, how that word we said is the same word, temptation, trial, right? right. Mm-hmm. And um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation sees you but is kind of man. But he'll provide you with a way out. And that seems to me that there's a time when you exit. How do we know when we are to stay under the pressure, when we're to exit? Well, one of the first things is you don't break the commandments of God. The illustration I use of the guy that's in a tough marriage. The commandments are very clear. Yeah. Do you have, do you have some observations or some steps we might walk through in our thinking that's an obvious that that would be an obvious first one but you know thinking of the guy you know who's in the job and the pressure and maybe God's moving him or you know is he the standard the pressure he's you know is, is God moving him out and that's what he's trying to tell him I can't I I can't give you a formula for that because it Ultimately, it comes down to faith. But what I can say to you is that all of us, I'm guessing, or I, I, let me speak for myself, and most guys that I talk to that are honest with me, is we don't like pressure and we'll get out from under it if we, if we have a choice unless we understand this process that God has taken us through. And so we'll be very cautious will be very cautious about making a move. And one thing I, I would say to you is be very cautious about reading your of God from that. That's dangerous. How, how would Joseph, what conclusions would Joseph had come to if he would have looked at his circumstances and determined what the will of God was for him? Man, he'd have all kinds of confusion in his life, wouldn't he? I just caution you, be careful there. Be careful there. Let's go on here. Um, Steve, let's go over to uh, Genesis uh, 45, 4 to 9. The second 
The second point I want to make with you, gentlemen, is that forgiveness is essential for the faith-testing process. And Joseph is a good example. Okay, Steve, let's read. Genesis 45, verses 4 through 9. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in, in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to pres- preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it, is, was not what, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Yeah. Notice in verse 5, he says, God sent me before you. Tested faith has a sense of the sovereignty of God. Verse 6, he says, there are still five years of famine. Tested faith acts on the word of God. Verse 7, God sent me to preserve for you. Tested faith has a sense of being part of God's overall purpose. Verse 8, God sent me. God made me ruler over all the land. Tested faith understands that position in life is determined by God for his purpose. Joseph's focus was on God and what God had had and was doing. See, Joseph understood with his tested faith, he understood that being sold into slavery by his brothers, being held falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, being thrown in jail, being forgotten by the cupbearer, being promoted to prime minister, they were all God's doing. Therefore, he had no problem with his brothers or Potiphar's wife or the cupbearer. Joseph understood that if he had a problem with the way he was treated or his circumstances, his problem was with God and God alone. Grab this, gentlemen. You never have a problem with another person. Your problem is always with God. Let me repeat that. You never have a problem with another person. Your problem is always with God. Forgiveness is essential in the faith-testing process. Now, let me suggest to you that the faith-testing process is not always easy. And Steve, if you'd go over to Genesis 41:51, I want to make a couple of quick observations here for us. 4151. We Gen- looked about at these verses last night, but I want to look at them just a little differently this morning. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Okay. This is after Joseph has his prime minister and he has two sons, and so he names Manasseh. And he says that Manasseh means to forget all my troubles. God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. 
I looked up that word troubles, and it means to a wearing effect, both physically and mentally. You just get tired, grievous, misery, pain, sorrow. And so the testing process is wearing. It wears you out sometimes. You just get weary. But notice this next one. The next verse, please. 41-52. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Notice he says, he uses the word my affliction. And I looked that word up and it's interesting. The word means depression. Looking down or browbeating yourself to to be depressed literally, to self-abase. This is more attitudinal towards self and circumstances. You just get to a point where you just you, you, you start questioning yourself. I wonder why in the how did I get here? What did I do? Man, I'm of no worth. I'm an absolute failure. And let me just remind you, Joseph is saying, this is what I went through. I got tired. I got weary. It was miserable. I was depressed. I questioned myself, what in the world am I doing? Why in the world am I here? I mean, first I get rejected by my family. Then I get thrown in with all these pagans. I lose my family. And on and on. And he gives us a little glimpse in those two words that he was worn out and he was depressed. And gentlemen, sometimes God has to push us that far in order to start cleaning this jar out. But the good news, the good news is that Joseph, when he was telling about his two sons and his naming of them, it was in the context of he was praising and giving thanks to God. He wasn't lamenting it at all. And I thought about it. Jesus uses an illustration in John 16 about uh, a woman as she is approaching childbirth and the trouble and the pain that she feels and uh, the wife's affliction. And she even suffers somewhat of depression, I think. Uh, I know my wife did, you know, such things as, I'm fat, I'm ugly, do you love me, you know? And yet Jesus says, you know, after, after the birth, then the wife forgets the pain because of the joy of the birth. And so it is with us, gentlemen, as we go through these processes that God's taking us through, as we look back, we say, I am so thankful. I'd never asked God to take me through that. And I'm certainly not signing up for another trip. 
but I am so thankful because my relationship with God would not be where it is today if I hadn't gone through that. And if we don't see it as a process, gentlemen, and from God, we'll go into to spiritual vertigo when it comes. The faith testing process is, all, is not always easy, but it's very, very profitable. Let me just quickly, the third point I want to make here is an unwillingness to forgive others destroys the faith testing process. I thought it's kind of like if we're unwilling to forgive. It's like, you know, I know you've seen and I've seen uh, basketball players. And I think of one in particular that's in the professional, plays professional basketball. Probably one of the most talented, talented guys that plays basketball today. But he's always focusing on the, the missed calls by the referee and the trash talk between the guys. And uh, he ends up losing his perspective of the game and his own purpose and potential, and he hurts his teammates. And that's what will happen to us if we don't focus on God and understand what this process is like and, not, and if we're not willing to forgive. And let me just throw up a quick one up here of some consequences. Forgiveness is essential. Unwillingness to forgive, let me, first of all, and I'm not going to look at the scriptures because of time, but it, it, it's alienation from God. You want alienation from God? Then just don't forgive. Secondly, uh, Hebrews 12:15, and I won't go to that. Gail's going to talk about that tomorrow. But you're going to miss the grace of God, or the empowerment of God. Third, you're going to defile those around you. Just think in your mind, just one moment, of someone you know that's bitter, angry, wrathful. Got them? Now, let me ask you. Is that just limited to them, or does it affect those around them? You bet your bip it affects those around them, doesn't it? You'll defile others. And then, Jerry mentioned it this morning, you'll suffer loss in eternity. The stakes are too high, gentlemen. Let me suggest to you that one of the greatest maladies in the church today is bitterness an unwillingness to forgive. Unwillingness to forgive is cancer to the soul. A victim mentality is cancer to the soul and destructive to achieving a tested faith. Gentlemen, in the economy of God, there are no victims. Let me repeat that. In our society, we are a victim society. 
in the economy of God, there are no victims because God is the one is in all control and He determines the future. There are no victims. Forgiving others is essential for developing tested faith. Well, let me close by giving you a quick little litmus test that you can take with you. and uh, how you can check yourself on how you're doing in this process. Quick test of how you are doing in the faith testing process. How you're doing seeing all testing from God and not blaming others. How am I doing with bifocal faith? How am I doing seeing all circumstances and people from from God for my good? How am I doing to see life as a process of preparation for eternity rather than a goal to be reached? How am I doing at admitting and dealing with my own sin versus making excuses and blaming others? How am I doing at forgiving others? Is my life free from wrath, anger, bitterness, malice, clamor, slander, ill feelings? Here's a sure test. Turn with me, all of you, over to... I'm going to give you a negative test and a positive test. And then we're done. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. You want to know how you're doing in the process? You want to know how you're doing? Let me just read. Steve, you can read them. Uh, uh, ver- uh, 2, 14, and 15. Verses 2, 2, 14, and 15, Philippians. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. Okay. My translation says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Let me suggest to you, just listen to yourself talk. I listen to myself talk sometimes. Am I grumbling? Because Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling is attitudinal. Disputing is relational. How am I doing? Am I grumbling? Or am I disputing or having disputes? That's a red flag, guys. We're out of focus. We've got to hope somewhere else than tested hope tested faith. That's the negative test. Now let me give you the positive test. To your right, over to Thessalonians, and then we are going to go eat. Thessalonians chapter 5. Second or first? First, first Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll wait till everyone gets there. 
three verses. This is the positive test. Verses 16, 17, and 18. 16, 17, and 18. Be joy joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay. Listen to yourself. Are you rejoicing always? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you giving thanks in everything? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Gentlemen, I would suggest to you that when you find yourself grumbling and disputing, if you by your act of your will will begin to do this, begin to give God thanks for exactly where you're at, begin to give God thanks for what you're grumbling about, begin to give God thanks for those meatheads he's brought into your life to help you grow in your faith. Okay? Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And he does use meatheads, doesn't he? Yeah. Our God's a very creative God. Let me just suggest you do that, and it will absolutely turn your attitude around just almost instantly. See, the issue is gratefulness. If you want to know how you're doing with God, the dipstick of the spiritual life is what I call the grateful index. Let me ask you right now. If on an index of 1 to 10, 1 being poor and 10 being great, where do you think you're... What number? This just for your own use. What's your grateful index today? If it's not where you want to be, then take Ephesians or Thessalonians 5 and in everything give thanks and you'll move that thing right up there where it belongs. And guess what will happen to grumbling and disputing? Testing, faith testing is a process of relinquishing control. Lord, we, uh, we are all control freaks. Lord, we, we try to kid ourselves that we're in control. And yet when we're really honest, we look at life and the things we can control and they're, uh, the list is... Pretty, pretty small. And you're our only option. And thank, thank you, Lord, that you are. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. Help us be men that understand the process that you take us through to test our faith. To get us to have tested faith. So that we'll be prepared for eternity with you. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you, Winston.